Naps means everything. <laughs> Naps are life. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just woke up. Sleep be cast. <laughs> Welcome back to Mugging Your Ears. My name is Corey. Hello and April are not with me, but in their stag I have Cougar, two Wider, Mailer companions. Chris and Link are here. Sorry. I don't know if I should say hi or not. <laughs> uh, you know, I was trying to think of the weirdest way to introduce you all. I think, I think you succeeded. Uh, very appropriate, I think. Yeah, but um, we're here to talk about some Shuzo Oshimi, something that Helen is not at all interested in, which is why I brought you all on here. And also... Uh, I know this is not true in the in the broader sense of the world, but at least in in my brain, having done one Flowers of Evil podcast, you are now the Oshimi experts. <laughs> that was a really good podcast too. I really enjoyed that one. That was pretty great. Yeah, um, I still need to read that manga. I have it all. Uh, that is what actually got me into reading Oshimi was the Flowers of Evil manga. Mm-hmm. And I don't read a lot of manga, but that one sort of drew me in. We know how much you hate manga, Inc. Uh, Alright, so, uh, have you all watched, or watched, Jesus Christ, guys, <laughs> manga podcast, I've already messed it up. Have you all read um, any other Oshimi besides Flowers of Evil? Yes, I've read uh, Happiness, which uh, Kodansha put out in its entirety, ten volumes, um, and I've read the first four volumes of Blood on, Her Tra- uh, Blood on Your Tracks, which Vertical I've, is currently putting out. I've uh, about the same I've finished uh, Happiness. I've read the first two volumes of Blood on Your Tracks. Apparently, Blood on the Tracks. Blood not, on the Tracks. Not specifically yours. Okay. Well, I've also paid a lot of attention to the title of Blood on the Tracks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I've now watched. Uh, I have watched Flowers of Evil. I have not read Flowers of Evil, but I have read uh, Inside Mari. Um, which I think it's very good. And you both yes. should read it. Inside Mari is very good. I read the first four volumes. I forgot about that one. Because oh, okay. I'm, I'm waiting to finish reading it for the last volume to come out from Denpa, which that's been coming out very, very slowly, so it's not been in my brain. Yeah, I think he... Yeah, it looks like he just came out with volume seven, so only two more left. No, vol- volume eight. I, I, I just picked that up. I just got that in the mail. Oh, okay. Uh, I also volume... forgot about it. Because uh, I, I started reading it, and I keep falling off every time in different points. I just can't get through it. I don't I don't like that one that much. Mm. Well, let's get into more things that we don't like about Oshimi. <laughs> um, we're going to go in reverse chronological order here. We're going to talk about a couple of his shorts, one-shots, things like that. Uh, Miss Kusakabe, Waltz, and Shino can't say her name. Uh, Kusakabe and Waltz are both one-chapter stories, and Shino is a one-volume story. Uh, all of them have been released by Denpa and are available uh, online, or in the case of Shino, in your local retailers, probably. Uh, but let's start with Shino, I mean, with Kusakabe here. Um, and this one is just about a, uh, I forget, she's 16, 17 years old, something like that. 17. 17, 
who uh, was found collapsed in front of someone's apartment. They begin to have a sexual relationship, and she just disappears at some point, and then comes back looking much more haggard. Um, it kind of reminded me, uh, at least in the in the last kind of shocks of the of the manga of uh, No Longer Human. Um, but that's probably the most positive thing I'll say about it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I like that comparison to No Longer Human. Um, I didn't I didn't stumble across that, even though I love No Longer Human. Um, that I, I I thought this was a very good short. It's just so Oshimi is very in the in the in the weeds when it comes to emotions. Like that's very strictly what he deals with. And this I found to be a really interesting look at a weird, bizarre, codependent relationship. Mm. Yeah, it's a, a a minimalist kind of story. There's no real whole plot to go dig through. It's just sort of two people who are uh, differently focused self-destructively. Well, see, I don't I don't see themselves being self-destructively together. They have their own self-destructive tendencies. The guy is a, a loner, and mm-hmm. the the woman she is not going to school. She's seeking some kind of connection through uh, sexual relationships. It's when they're together, you know, the the kind of weird codependency that they they garner towards each other. That's like the one positive thing in their life. Um, that's not them self-destructing each other. It's them self-destructing themselves and finding some kind of good together, I felt. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. The, uh, the only term, uh, only way it's self-destruction when they're together is, you know, ultimately it's not healthy for either of them to be with each other. <laughs> like, they work, but they're never going to permanently work, which is going to ruin both of them emotionally anyway. Yeah, the guy was really, really broken up when she disappeared, and that's, you know, I felt that. Oshimi did, did a really good job with just a couple of panels um, expressing this guy's, you know, collapsed loneliness when she disappears, where he just feels everything that he was before more intensely, like to an exponential degree. Yeah, he mentioned he was relieved when she left, but then... He also hurriedly chases after her when he sees the cigarette box, but hurry, she's not there anymore. Um, yeah, I guess for me, there's like a lot of narration from the guy in here, um, which didn't quite work for me. Uh, and so I guess we don't. It's obviously one chapter, but we can't do. You can't do much with it. But you, we also don't get a lot of um, the backgrounds of the character motivations. Like we know what is happening to them and um kind of what their uh what their self-destructive nature respectively is in this as you've been describing um but we don't get how how they got there or why they are still here um and i think that's where it's really lacking for me i think it's up to the reader to sort of ingest via oshimi's uh visual depiction some of the subtle facial uh details that sort of evoke this natural sadness of something that's on just underneath the surface um, sort of contorting their faces just enough to make you know something's off like uh, 
there was even in that even in that very final shot of Kasukabe uh, smiling. Uh, it's like a sexy look to the uh, main character. Oshimi really does a, a good job of evoking that inner distress in that subtle facial expression because it's called a sexy look, but it's really I don't know, just sort of utter desperation and forced, uh, like a forced smile. Yeah, like we're really. I could be completely reading into that. Yeah, Oshimi is. Oshimi is one of the few mangaka that I actually call my one of my favorite mangaka, and his artwork is just it's so good all the time. And what you're describing Inc., is one of the one of the things that I really love. Uh, we'll get into it more with Shino can't say her name, but uh, just facial um, ticks, you know, looks. He he can express so much with with so little. Um, and I think that I, I just love that about his artwork and his style of storytelling. Um, and to go back about her sexy look, like that's how the manga starts is, you know, the, the guy is describing her eyes is like, they're just like pillows of sleep deprivation or whatever, but it makes it look like she's smiling Mm -hmm. and you don't really quite get it. Um, in that first page, because you look at it and you're like, yeah, I guess I can. You can see her smiling, um, but it's more about the guy, what he views her as. But then in that very last panel, where she actually, you can tell that she is smiling. There's so much weight behind that now because of the journey that we've gone through over the previous, you know, 15 pages. Yes, exactly. That uh, that first one also, uh, if you're already familiar with Oshimi and you take a look at that uh, that smile, that originally that original sexy look, uh, it kind of seems mischievous and sneery from the start, which fitted in with his emphatic uh, sort of uh, heroines. Yeah, I did want to go back to something both you and Corey hit on before, though, which was um, I think Corey said there was not much you could do by way of uh, uh, repetition and panel work because this was so short um, but something that Chris had brought up which was the cigarettes by the door where previously Kasakabe was found initially found and I thought that was a really good device with the repetition of the door to uh, illustrate her absence because when they, the guy comes back and there's just cigarette butts on the door he instant, and this is after Kasakabe has uh, left, he instantly turns around to go search for her because he, he knows she's already split because he wasn't there and that infers so much just by one look, but you as the reader knew it instantly just because you knew her temperament and, you know, his desperation. So it was, uh, it was a really good shot there. Yeah, I mean, as you've been, uh, as both of you have been saying, there's a lot of good artwork in here that depicts a lot more than um, the words or anything else does. And I think that's what's really, um, that's what really uh, pushes it up for me is that there is uh, so much expression in the characters and what they're doing. Like, there's not much um, non-character artwork in here at all. Like, almost every panel has a character in it. So I just really appreciate looking at looking at them and seeing what, they, uh, what they're feeling in the moment, because you can really get that. One of my favorite panels in this whole thing is kind of like almost one of the most bland. It's uh, on page 10... And it comes right after Kaskabe and the main characters walking 
uh, one's looking up, one's looking down. In the very next panel, there's this almost abstract panel, just a couple lines meant to, I think, infer telephone wires in the building corner. Um, but it could be the street or it could be the sky. And it, it in one image that is meant to be one or the other, it kind of signifies both. And it signifies both characters looking in different directions. And I thought that was really cool. I see which page you... I see a panel. Mm-hmm. There's no page numbers on the, on the physical book, Egg. Get this fixed. Hmm. should probably mention you could read this online at denpa.pub. Uh, one thing that I found really fascinating about this one is... In a lot of Oshimi's work, he deals a lot with sexuality, but it doesn't, um, it's not expressly overt in, in the way that Miss Kusakabe is. This is basically his most horniest manga. It actually has sex happening and nudity um, depicted on the page, which in the context of his, his other work, I, I really found that an interesting uh, um, approach because it's it's something that he's been leaning towards but because of whatever reason you know usually you not 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 really constraints but for the reasons of the story it doesn't make sense to go full horny mm-hmm. this here makes sense to go full horny so it's i don't know i thought it was really cool i liked it uh, mari has a little bit of that too but um i would say kusakabe goes a bit further yeah and in some interesting ways too is that one of my other notes has to do with um, the pizza scene and then and what follows that uh, so basically Kasukabe overindulges in pizza with the main character and he and both, both of them or she she throws up a lot and then passionately kisses him directly after like her mo- mouth still coated in vomit uh, I think as the monk put it um, and you know this is huge discomfort via bodily fluids, and Oshimi revels in discomfort, right? Uh, usually emotional, but also physical. Um, and the next scene after that is her being found in front of her his apartment again, uh, like wet from sex with other men, and it's it's a direct parallel, and you just get that ooh. Uh, just huge emotional discomfort from that and i thought that was a really really cool thing to do and i like this a lot better on my second read through for all the the subtle implementations and parallels that he pulled than i did on the first one the first time i read this i just sort of blew it off but uh i ended up really liking this after the second read well i find it i find it interesting that you're talking about bodily discomfort weren't you a mysterious girlfriend x fan yeah, there's no vomit though. <laughs> it, it's not vomit, true. Uh, yeah, this one is the shortest one, 27 pages though. I forgot to say about uh, the first one, Kuskabe, um, that they're the very first scene with the uh, Kuskabe forcing the or asking the uh, the guy to wear her clothes and then. Uh, getting on top of him so reminded me of that scene in flowers of evil absolutely yeah (laughs) absolutely that was my thought when i was reading it too i was like ah sugar pops Uh (laughs) we know someone's kink (laughs) (laughs) all right uh i think seg again pick up pub get all of your uh kusakabe needs
but let's move on to Walks, the um, second one chapter story here. Uh, this one's a little longer, 42 pages. Um, but this one is about a uh, high school girl who happens to see her neighbor that is dressed in uh, he uh, or she, I, I don't know they are biologically male, but uh, appear to have some trans tendencies, um, and they are dressed in women's clothing on the balcony. And from there, uh, she gives away some of her clothes to her neighbor. Uh, she dresses them up. Um, does their makeup, and, uh, that's, that's kind of it. Um, it seems to be more of a story about, uh, how she wants to kind of own, and not really own in, in, like, uh, ownership of non-person goods, but, um, like, be there, be the person that they are with, uh, but not, like, in a romantic, very, very strangely describing this, um, Anyway, what do you think now that I'm out of words to describe what I'm trying to say? <laughs> um, I think your out of words description, I think it does a pretty good job. Um, it's because it, it is a very strange manga, and it deals with one of the things that Oshimi does in all of his manga. It's it's this need for connection, uh, just like in Miss Kuzakabe, in Flowers of Evil, Happiness, Blood on the Tracks, Inside Mari. It's all this need for trying to connect with other people in very different uh, scenarios, of course. And I, I think the, the lead's name was, was it Onagari or my brain uh, wants to say Onagiri. Onaga. Yep. Onaga. She, she seems to be a lonely person. And like a lot of uh, Oshimi's femme fatale uh, characters, she is reaching for a connection with the uh, the other character, Kusa. Let me pull the book out. <laughs> Kawashibara. Kawashibara. Um, and it's almost this. This is almost the the toxic relationship of the two books that we've talked about so far, mm-hmm. because she she doesn't want to. She wants the connection with the person, but it's for her own personal selfish desires she wants to make the person up make them pretty or make them cute and it's kind of like like Corey was stumbling across it, it feels like it might be some kind of ownership um desire or some kind of you know control that onaga is wanting to implement but at the end of the book you see very strongly that when kawashibara comes back to Onaga bleeding and bruised from getting it, uh, getting their ass beat by the bully. Um, that there there was a genuine connection there, whether it was being implemented in a more toxic way. That's still a very personal connection, um, and that that that's something Oshimi does very very well, and he does it very well here as well. That's a lot of wells. Um, <laughs> well, I gotta say. Uh, you hit the nail on the head as far as uh, what I, as I saw it as well, because it's the, the blackmail story again. Sort of, if you've read Flowers of Evil, uh, stealing of the the uniform and you know witnessing of the cross dressing, um, and an eviction story where a domineering female asserts control over uh, a biologically male uh, character. 
Uh, and like Chris mentioned, this is very much about control over their life direction. Um, in some, in some case, helping them realize their true self image, but also because this is what she needs to do to feel happy because the art, um, as Chris mentioned, like in the beginning, you know, she says she's happy, but all, all the art communicates this adolescent malaise in that, in that admission. She's never like really smiling until she's dressing up, uh, Kawishibara. And when he does something on his own, which is asks out this bully that's been punching his, uh, male, uh, dressed self, um, it's in direct defiance of, her having any sort of control. Also, it's the same guy you kind of get a sense she was almost crushing on uh, when he was in at her work. Um, you can't really tell because it's a, a short story as well. But uh, there, there, I got that impression. So it was kind of revenge when she kind of breaks off things with them in that middle section. Yeah, there's a moment when um, she's dressing them up and they say they want. Uh the person who beats them up to tell them and think that he thinks they're cute. Um, and that's when she kind of lashes out and she's like, I get the feeling that she felt that this moment of, um, of cross-dressing, uh, or of, uh, dressing as a woman, um, was kind of their thing. And, uh, moving it out of between just them is a betrayal of that relationship. Um, and you see it in the last panel when she's kind of looking at them, uh, sadly, forlornly, um, in sympathy or pity that, uh, she's not over that kind of betrayal, but she still wants this relationship to continue, uh, or whatever, whatever the relationship is, or happens to be between them, but, um, yeah, I liked, I liked what they were, or what, I liked what Oshimi was doing here, I liked the, um, the very toxic relationship between these two teenagers who hopefully very soon will realize that they should not be with each other. Uh, but at the same time, it is uh, kind of self-affirming for uh, Kawashibara. Um, they finally get this moment to be able to be comfortable in their own body, in their own skin with someone else, even if this someone else is not the best for them. Um, but having those outlets is important in itself, I think. And how great is that ending line for all of that? Well, you're just not going to say the ending line. You're not going to tell me what it was. I won't but forgive you, cuter. but I'll make you even cuter. <laughs> yeah. When I originally read it, I had I had not liked this this whole manga. I just didn't just didn't sit well with me the first time I went through it. And that, until I hit that last line, I was like, "Oh, but that's a really solid last line," and. When I reread it for this podcast, I was like, "Nope, this is kind of an excellent one shot. I like it." Yeah, yeah, it 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 does a really good job of making the reader feel kind of uncomfortable, especially if the reader is you know empathetic. Because like Kawashibara, for a while there, you're like, "Oh, this is awesome. They get to be who they want to be. Um, they get to dress as a woman, be as a woman." And there's this character that's enabling that, and it's really sweet. Like if you take if you take the perspective of Kawashibara, you feel that way at first, and then at the end you're like, "Ooh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like this is kind of icky and gross." Um, 
it's it's just a level of discomfort. Noshimi really works really well with discomfort. Um, but I can see on multiple pass-throughs, you know, when you really take the perspective of Onagi, like we were, like we've been talking, it kind of smooths over that weird that weird middle section where she uh, the the betrayal happens and the the tension increases and she kind of lashes out towards Kawashi Bar that makes it feel kind of ooh like I was I, when I read it I was sitting there I was thinking I was like I would wonder what a an actual trans per- person would feel about this manga because yeah. uh, it was that level of discomfort but when you're talking about the toxic relationship and it's all about control for Onagi like it all makes much more sense and it all becomes uh much more of a cohesive whole and and a little bit little bit less icky even though it's supposed to be icky it's it's it is a toxic relationship and Oshimi does a really good job of portraying that shocker mm-hmm. oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i also got to say uh at least from my own perspective, I like that the very first four panels only showed halves of faces. So you never really get a whole picture of who someone is until the second and third pages where they show both the individual main characters' faces. And uh, it's Kawashibara as uh, in, in uh, female guise. Yes. For other fans of uh, his art, there's the depiction of a sweltering afternoon, uh, which is just a bunch of chaotic spirals in the air, and uh, I thought that was really cool. Oh, the chaotic spirals! That is a that is a happiness mo. Uh, yes, <laughs> I love I love happiness. Sorry, it's by far his best artwork. Uh, if you've only read two volumes, you don't even know what you're talking about. It gets so much better. Uh, <laughs> keep reading. No, no, I've only two, read two volumes of Blood on the Tracks. I've finished Happiness. Oh, you did finish uh, Happiness. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that it has his best artwork in it. I haven't started Happiness. I have one volume, though. <laughs> you're on your way. Yeah, I'm getting there. All right. Um, anything else on Walks before we move on? One uh, uh, reservation about one bit of dialogue, and I'm not sure if it's the translator or if the phrasing's meant to imply some sort of hard, chas- uh, hard sarcasm via poetics to give uh, insight into Onaga's sense of disconnect from her age uh, or a little of everything. But one of her lines reads, uh, So that wasn't you wearing gaudy makeup, lingerie, and an expiration of ecstasy? Like, I don't see a teenager saying an expression of ecstasy, but uh, it seems very uh, hard, very harsh and uh, controlling, which fits, but it just seemed the, the phrasing seems off a little. An expression of ecstasy. Yeah. I think you said expiration. Oh, sorry. Still waking up. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to make sure, because I was like, an, ex- an expiration? What does that mean? Mm. That's a very strange translation. Yes. It's okay. If there were if there were any faults in the translation, uh, we should just blame the proofreader. <laughs> Which, uh, for those listening, the proofreader is our good friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Pat. Formerly on the podcast, talked about My Hero Academia. Yep. And The Voyage Hotel. And One Piece. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I like Waltz. Um, uh, I think I like Shino a little bit more. Uh, there's a lot more in Shino, obviously, to, to grasp onto. And I think that's a much more personal story, as we'll get into, for Oshimi himself. Um, but yeah, Waltz was good. Uh, better than Kusakabe, at least, for me. Okay, let's take a short break, and then we'll be back to talk about Shino can't say her name. Cause tomorrow I'm also do battle with one for a princess But tonight, I can make you my queen and make love to you endless It's insane the way the name growing, money keep flowing Hustlers moving silent, so I'm tiptoeing So keep blowing, I got it locked up like Lindsay Lohan Put it on my life, baby I'm gonna give you a ride, baby Can't promise tomorrow, but I promise tonight Bye. Excuse me, excuse me And I might drink a little more than I should tonight And I might take you home with me if I could we're back, and we're going to talk about Chino, can't say her name, um, a one-volume uh, short story by Oshimi. All of them are by Oshimi. I said that at the beginning. Why did I repeat it? Anyway. Well, we just came back from a break. You never know. You know, memories are fleeting. <laughs> True. Maybe someone looked at the notes and said, hey, I only want to look, listen to Chino. When can I, when can I uh, advance the bar to True. only listen to Chino? True. All right, so... Uh, this one is about a girl named Shino Oshima, who, uh, as the title suggests, cannot say her name. She has a speech impediment uh, where she stutters pretty badly. Uh, she says later on that it's really bad with words that start with vowels, uh, which her last name does. And in the um, in the Japanese parlance, not parlance, uh, name order of names, I don't know. Uh, you start with the last name, which is Osh- Oshima. Um, so she really struggles with. Even starting her name, if she says it uh, the uh, Western way, uh, Shino Oshima, then she can say it much easier. But that just sounds strange from a Japanese standpoint. In, um, in the first couple of pages, she has to introduce herself to her new class, where she just cannot speak. Um, she says like full sentences uh, after everyone starts laughing at her. But um, she is just told to sit down. Hey. At the end of the first chapter, um, but throughout it, she uh, eventually meets this other girl who she accidentally rams her bike into. Um, well, sort of. It's a giant bike rack of bikes. Um, and then they start. Uh, they're both kind of loners, and then they start a band together. Um, the other girl who is quickly flipping through, trying to find her name. Kayo. Kayo. Thank you. Um, Kayo plays guitar. And, uh, as it turns out, Shino doesn't stutter when she sings. Um, so that's what they do. Uh, Shino sings, Kayo plays guitar, and they go through it like that, listening to The Flaming Lips and Bob Dylan. Watching Ghost World. Yeah. Okay. Since Corey already brought it up, the, the, the Western comfortability, uh, with Shino and saying her name, I started to read this entire thing as just sort of a, a discomfort uh, as not identifying with the culture you're in, maybe identifying more with Western culture. And then, you know, the, um, Kayo's room being almost entirely Western from the, the bed style to the posters and all that. I was just like, oh man, this is, this is screaming that. But then in the notes at the end, it's like, no, this is my, uh, Oshimi's like, no, this is my experiences with, uh, stuttering myself. And I was like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> Made the whole thing a lot less interesting for me. Because uh, it's, it's, it's so one note. It doesn't really contain a lot of Oshimi's trademarks uh, with discomfort. And of course, this is a lot more of a personal story, so you don't have to have that. But without that, it seemed a lot less interesting to me. Oh, I mean, it, it can still have that in there, Hank. It yeah. just, just because, you know, Oshimi says one thing doesn't mean it can't be another thing for you. Hmm. That's the whole concept of death of the author. True. I mean, when I was reading it, um, I didn't even, my brain didn't even stumble across stuttering until I was reading the, the afterward, uh, same as you. Um, I read it as all about social anxiety. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think that's part of it as well, is that um, because of her stuttering, she has a lot of social anxiety, and it doesn't help that, like, um, one of the other people that tries to join their band is a boy who was initially making fun of her, and it's like, well, he, I guess he wasn't specifically making fun of her, but he was kind of allowing his friends to make fun of her, and he didn't do anything to stop them, even though he was like, that's kind of messed up friends, why don't why don't you stop? No, he, he he was the he was the actual one who was. So he was the instigator. Yeah, but he they weren't doing it to her. They were she just happened to like eavesdrop upon them. Mm-hmm. And she was passing by them as that happened. Yeah, I feel like that is kind of the uh, the cruelty of teenagers, kids of that age, when they just want to get a laugh out of their friends. Um, I mean, not that it's okay, obviously, but. Uh, it does feel like a very early high school thing to do. Definitely. I gotta say, I do love uh, Kikuchi. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. I, I, I love the book next to me. I love his introduction um, formally uh, when he goes to join the two as a band, and they're like, you have the tone deaf girl who wants to be the singer. You have the girl who can't speak in front of people normally um, as the singer. And then you have Kikuchi wanting to join this super group. And what's he going to do? Because he can't even play an instrument. He whips out this tambourine with like <laughs> the utmost of joy and confidence and starts playing it like a rock star. And I'm like, this is pretty good. Where's your recorder, guy? You should have a recorder, too. That's right. <laughs> Trying. No, I really, of, of the three that we're, we're talking about, um, I like I like this one the most, um, not because the other two are too short or anything. I just really latched on to the social anxiety aspect of this, and Oshimi really lets his art go um, a little bit. This was this was made when he was in the middle of serialization for Flowers of Evil, which if you have read all of Flowers of Evil, you can see a strong progression and change in his art styles over the course of that series, um, which is like full blown when it comes to happiness um, and blood on the tracks. But uh, he started out a little more basic and Shino has that very basic look to it, but it gets much more expressive and interesting with uh, the extreme expressions that the characters have, um, especially Shino, because she struggles to get the words out, and she basically gets red in the face and is just like, trying to trying to talk. Um, There's also a really ex- excellent look of distress on Shino's face after eating ice cream with Kikuchi. 
Yes, uh, he does. It, he, he it, so it's got that really good balance of his earlier art style and his later art style uh, blended in. So it doesn't really look like two different art styles. It just uh, comes comes across where it needs to. Um, but I don't know. I just really identified with this one a lot. Um, I like how Oshimi basically puts himself into as a female character. Um, I love the whole joining and starting a band thing. That's something that I did when I was in high school, um, dealing with stage fright and social anxiety and everything. It's just, I felt that this was a very human story that even though it is not as discomfortable as some of his other stories, or it's not as profound or deep it felt like one of his most human stories. It's just really, really grounded and relatable. I think a lot of people can really relate to this one. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I've only read Insect Maria, as I said earlier, uh, which is much more fantastical in its story and what it's trying to do. Um, but even Kusakabe and Waltz um, are much more grounded to reality. Um, but Shino really, really felt like he was, um, I mean, obviously he's based, uh, I assume, a lot off of his own experiences in high school, but I really felt like it was um, the most grounded work I've read of Oshimi so far. Um, and I think as I read more of his stuff, I'm going to keep coming back to this and uh, thinking about it because of the way it's presenting uh, this very relatable character, whether that be because you have a scutter yourself, whether that be because you struggle speaking in front of other people, or uh, whether that be just because, like, you struggle making friends, and, like, you get into your argument with your your only friend, and then you're left alone again, and, like, you knew what it was like to have that friend, and now you're gone. That was such a super sad section of the story. Mm-hmm. But, like, the catharsis of it was incredible. Like, she knows she's tone deaf. Uh, she knows she can't sing, but she sings her song for her friend. Uh, because, you know, they want to they wanna be friends. I liked uh, something I, I do want to point out I really liked was the, during the introduction, where you're kind of getting a feel for how the main character feels while she's going through the the anxiety of not being able to talk. Um, a lot of that is owed to the framing during the class introductions where the dialogue and the bubbles are actually cut off like mi- uh, or cut off they show the middle of the sentence and have the uh, ends truncated uh, so you don't never get like a full sentence but you get the exact meaning of that sentence by the little bits implied but everything's kind of quick dashes all the way around like uh, eyes nervously shifting and randomly locking onto different points because they don't they need something to grasp onto just for uh, an immediate sense and it was a it was a great way to visually depict that nervousness absolutely that that was really i don't think i've quite seen uh another manga that handles a situation like that in exactly that same way um really great stuff and uh, another thing that ties into that is the homeroom teacher uh, during that whole section. It, it, it's almost as if Oshimi creates this kind of sinister atmosphere around the teacher, and then the teacher is just a complete dick. 
Yes. But then, but then later on in the book, the teacher's all trying to be, you know, all homeroom teachery. Hey, you know, you can try to do this and blah blah blah. And I just hated him. Yeah. I was just like, shut up, fuck you. You're a dick. everything will be okay if you just smile. Jesus right. Christ. Yeah, remind me of um, a lot of these types of homeroom teachers in these stories where um, they don't really know what to do if you are not a quote-unquote normal kid. Um, so they're just like, you know, let's just uh, do your best. Yeah. And it did It did really feel like he, they were playing off of the stereotypical anime manga homeroom teacher uh, archetype with, with this, which I thought was really... It, and it really enhanced that visceral reaction to mm. their their reaction to Shino. Yeah, the kind of teacher like in a silent voice where um, they don't really want to help you. They just want to make it so you are not a problem for the classroom anymore. Yeah. And I got to say, I love the ending. It was kind of perfect. It came out of left field and I... I I don't feel like a lot of stories have the guts to do this. Um, I don't think they name uh, Shino in that last chapter or have anyone... Oh, I know they, they have her kid spell out who uh, she's talking to or for her mother's name uh, as she's talking on the phone with someone because she still can't say her name even after you know growing up and having a kid, etc. But it's just a very incredibly cute ending where the kid jumps up to save her mother and uh, just sort of instantly shows that uh, un, unwavering love uh, of a child for her mother at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also really like that ending because, you know, with the climax with Kayo singing the song that she wrote for Shino as horribly as she does, um, Shino's reaction isn't, thank you, I love you, let's be best friends again. It's, I am who I fucking am. And there's nothing that's going to change about that, so let's fucking get over trying to make me better. And then smash cut with the, the the last chapter to her being an adult. And yeah, she never changed, but that's okay. Mm. That's that's something that I always really appreciate when when an author is able to to convey that. And it's not too often, you know. You you get a lot of stories where it's always about improvement and change and sometimes a person doesn't change and that's okay yeah yeah and especially in this case like it's not um it's not as if they have this huge character flaw where like in the previous manga they're just an asshole or something this is a case where you have a um i guess it is a mental illness sort of uh, or actually um i've never read about it so uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it's something that you just live with. It's not like if you uh, if you have some sort of leg injury that makes you limp, you can't just suddenly walk walk as if everyone else does again. Um, this is the same thing. If you want, uh, if you're if you get kind of bummed out, and you won't get bummed out after reading this because it does have that positive ending, but uh, if you find this a little too distressing for the subject matter. Go check out Comey Can't Communicate because it's a it's a, a humorous take on the same situation, yeah. and it's got some really good moments in there. Previous podcast here as well. Any <laughs> any final thoughts on Shino before we end the episode? Uh, it's it's a really really good one um, compared to all the other Oshimi that I've read. It's 
it's not better than any of the other ones. It's basically at the bottom of the pile, but that's just a testament to how good I feel Oshimi is that he just is able to squeeze out in such a short uh, duration a really interesting, really positive um, and very effective story about this kind of subject matter. It's It doesn't have to be 13 volumes long um, to be complete. It does a really great job within its like nine or ten chapters. Um, and if you like, if you if you read this and you like this, I can't recommend his other stuff because it's I feel <laughs> so much better. Um, but that's not I, I I'm I'm trying to say that it's not a slight to say this is my least favorite Oshimi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just that good. Uh, yeah, I didn't identify at all with the the main character, and uh, I'd like Chris like this is my least favorite Oshimi, but uh, it's still. Uh, a decently told, told story and if you identify with it I, there's going to be a stronger connection for you there um, and it's still really good economical storytelling with some worthwhile art, not the best he's ever produced but it doesn't have to be um, feels, like, feels like a little more manufactured for sale than his other works but like Chris said like he's, he doesn't really speci- specialize in uh, commercially sellable works. Yeah, only for Egg and the uh, and the Genpa crew or the former Vertical crew. Yeah, which is amazing. We're getting three other Oshimi works this year from Kodansha and Vertical combined. Like th- he I has say, to be selling. I should say commercially friendly or targeted. I don't know. Is this not the? Uh... He's not a sellout, man. No, no, <laughs> he's not. Alright, so, uh, last thing here, I, uh, as we all know, Egg Denpa sells Mango, he does not sell manga, uh, that's all the other companies, Excel manga, uh, to the masses, so, I asked favorite fruits from our listeners, and, uh, Helen chimed in, she says raspberries, and, uh, Izangra chimed in, um, she said summer strawberries or winter clementines, uh, you two have favorite fruits? It's tough, it's, it, it ends in the word berry. Absolutely. I'm a berry person, so it's like blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, raspberries, gooseberries, like all that shit is good as hell. Um, Snozberries? Snozberries. Yeah, you know what? Go for it. I'm, I'm, I eat grapes the most, like good red seedless grapes with like a, a tough texture, a uh, dense uh, texture is great, um, but... Uh, God, I really just love popping blueberries. There's nothing better than like fresh blueberries right off the bush. Yeah, um, I guess what I would eat, what I eat most frequently, is just bananas because that's a very that's good, just crazy. Yeah, Sorry. very good lunch accompaniment. I feel um, not that every other fruit is not, but uh, I think most of what I eat uh, fruit-wise is desserts and things like that. And I do really like mangoes, uh, but I also like peaches a lot. Peaches are good. Yeah. Millions of peaches. Yeah, peaches for free. Millions of peaches. Peaches for me. Peaches for me. Look it up, Corey. I know you have no idea where we're going because you're not enough. Let's <laughs> uh, end this podcast. Uh, where can we find everybody on the internet? You can find me on the Twitters at Gokufi, G O K U F F Y. Um, I'm also mostly on Letterboxd, writing about and talking about movies at Gokufi as well. 
You can find me on the Tweety Box at ink underscore just underscore ink, and over at Stanza Cannon. Uh, that's a uh, online literary zine for spoken poetry submissions. Right. You can find me. Wait. What? It's a it's a print zine for spoken poetry. No, it's an online zine for spoken poetry. But it's it's print. No, no. Or it's quarterly. But like, is it is it an audio podcast? It's not a podcast. It's an assembly of audio submissions from poets. There we go. That's what I was looking for. That's what was confusing me. Because <laughs> zine that. usually co- correlates to, to written written things. So That's I how we're different. <laughs> All right. You can find me on Twitter at K. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Mongolian New Year's. And you can find all of our episodes over at taikupodcast.com. That's T-A-I-I-K-U, where you can also find the episodes where Chris and I talk about... Uh, Akira Kurosawa movies and David Lynch movies, and you, you can find the episodes where Ink and I talk about back sports anime. But, Occasionally, uh, the good sport anime too. Uh, we don't talk about good sports anime on the podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for coming on, talking about Samoshimi. Yeah, thank you.